the heavy weights that we have, Lord, we can freaking give that to you. Uh, Lord, that I take any distraction during this morning. I pray that you, Holy Spirit, can use uh, Patrick and a worship time uh, for your glory, Lord. And I pray that you, you Lord, uh, is the only reason why we're here together and the only reason why uh, we can sing hallelujah, we can sing glory to you, we can sing and say that you are a God of wonders, the God who cares, the God who saves, the God who protects, the God who always are, is in control of our life. Even when situations that we don't understand why, you always are in control, Lord. You are an amazing God. You are a God who, who, uh, a God who cares, Lord, and cares deeply and loves. We don't understand sometimes how deep, how wide, how beautiful is your love toward us. And we know that you are, you are giving us uh, the hope in heaven through Christ. And thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for Jesus. I pray in his name. Amen. Let's, uh, let's stand up. Why not? Lord of all creation, of water, air, the sky, the heavens are your tabernacle, glory to the Lord on high, God of wonders beyond our galaxy, you are holy, holy. First declare your majesty, you are holy, holy, Lord our heavens and earth, Lord our heavens and earth, early in the morning. I will celebrate your life when I stumble in the darkness. I will call your name all night. God wonders beyond our galaxy. You are holy, holy. The universe declare your mind. You are holy, holy, Lord of heavens and earth, Lord of heavens and earth, hallelujah to the Lord of heavens and earth, hallelujah to the Lord our heavens and Hallelujah to the Lord's of heaven and God wonders beyond our galaxy. You are holy, holy. Precious Lord, reveal your heart to me. Father, holy. 
just declare your majesty you are holy holy maybe see it thank you Felipe and Tim well Good morning and welcome to the ranch. So glad you came up the hill. And uh, what a beautiful day the Lord has given us. It was uh, when I got up at 5 this morning, it was uh, 58 degrees. And uh, June shows up and the first thing she does is put on a sweater. So I don't know. Um, really quick, before I get an announcement, some of you have asked about the ranch here. Um, our family bought this place in uh, 1972, 48 years ago. And all the trees, with the exception of the oaks, my dad planted when they were just little bitty things, all the lane and everything. So um, he had a vision. My mom had a vision of what this could look like. And so we get to uh, enjoy that today. So um, if we need our nursery, Stan and Sharon are going to cover that. And it's around behind the house back here on the lawn. And uh, so, so far, you're out. You don't have a job. Huh? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I don't know of any other announcements. Are there any that need to be made? Yeah, Felipe? Morning, family. Whoa. I guess you can hear me. Thanks, Steve, for having us come up here. This is what a beautiful setting to worship the Lord in. So, um, well, I guess uh, I'm, I'm here to make an announcement about something called Roots Family Ministry. And um, some, some time ago, oh gosh, maybe a year ago or more, uh, I think it was around the time we were looking at getting the building the first time, um, Aaron and I kind of had uh, something put in our hearts, and that was kind of, uh, well, to back up a little bit, God, God calls us to build his church, and... Um, go and make disciples. And so how do, how do each of us do that? And Aaron and I and, and Molly and Felipe, um, we feel that God's saying, hey, build God's church at Oak Grove, this specific building block of this church. And so um, for a while now, we've been looking at how do, you, how do we make that happen? And so we've had this vision for a family ministry to kind of come about and um, what that... Uh, what that's going to entail is, um, uh, well, last week, or not last week, but when was that, Judy? Two weeks ago. Was that two weeks ago? Yeah. Or what? I can't read the mind. The, the event that we oh, did. Oh, that was mm, uh, April, no, April, August 9th. August 9th. Sunday night. So we did, uh, on, uh, on August 9th, we had an event at our home, and um, we were just blessed to see many of you there and, and many people from our community. And we thought, okay, this could be a kind of a dry run um, for what we would like to see this family ministry be. Um, and kind of the vision of what we're seeing is, and I'll, I'll kind of let you in on kind of the thought process a little bit, but if you could envision a, a bullseye, um, in the center of that bullseye is a circle, and that circle represents people from Oak Grove. And um, the next kind of circle going out is other people, and those are those are people that we all as Oak Grovers know. And then there's a third circle, and that circle is people that Oak Grovers don't know. And so what we're thinking is, 
as a church, if we can, if we can build this church, it's going to be a lot easier if we can do it from people from that second circle, people that we know. And so what one of the, one of the functions of this Roots Family Ministry is going to be is, is we're going to try to get people from that third circle into that second circle. So people that we know, and then we can invite them further into this church. And so um, I guess we're, we're just here to announce today that there's going to be another event next week at our house, um, and we're calling it Go ahead. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Holding on to hope, a night of praise. Okay. <laughs> so we're, it's just going to be something super low-key. We're going to sing some praise songs. We're going to read um, some scripture. We're going we're gonna to pray. And we're going to have um, just some time that we can fellowship and just, um, just hopefully have a great, fun, relaxing night, but also invite others that aren't, um, that aren't regular attenders here. It's something that's maybe not so um, official church. It's so it's maybe something they can maybe feel more comfortable coming to. And so that, that uh, process of bringing them from that third circle to the second circle where we know them and can form a relationship with them and then kind of bring them, bring them further into this church and into this wonderful family that we have at Oak Grove. That's, that's, kind, of the, that's kind of the thought process. So what we're, what we're uh, announcing is there's an event at our home it's going to be at uh, 7 30? 7. 7 o'clock. I'm sorry. 7 o'clock. It's going to go to 8 30. Again, there's going to be just praise, the praise time, some scripture reading, some prayer time, and some fellowship. So um, if you can mark your calendars down for next Sunday, there's no church that Sunday. Um, so we're going to, uh, if you could come to our house that evening and, and share your evening with us, that would be awesome. And if you can bring some other people, that would be fantastic. So. Um, did I miss anything? I'll say a couple of things. Yeah, okay. Watch out for the guitar. Um, we're, so we're looking. We want to invite whoever wants to help. I know that we're not the only ones with ideas. Um, so we're really excited about this. We've got a calendar full of events now. Um, but some of those months say, you know, um, here's the date or here's the time, but we don't know what it's going to be yet, and we're praying about that. And so if you have ideas, if you have – um, something on your heart, share it with us. If you want to help, let us know. We are just so excited about this because God created us for relationships and relationships are how we can share the gospel with people more than with a megaphone, just sh shouting to them. We can, we can share our lives with them. And one of the things that Felipe and Molly and us had talked about was when the gospel was just, um, it progressed greatly was when Paul was under house arrest and we were t thinking about, well, this was back in, you know, March when we were told, don't leave your houses, you know? And I thought, God, how in the world, you know, can the gospel progress during this time when we can't even leave? And I thought, so then we, I was reading through that and we were sharing that together was that the gospel did then. And that's the same gospel that we have now. And it's powerful to save. And we're seeing that in people around us and in people that came to that event that night a couple weeks ago. So we are just so excited because the gospel has changed us. We are no longer the same people that we were and we have hope. And I think um, Josh said it on the way up here, our world needs hope. We're, we're seeing families under attack. And we were also talking about the definition of a family means if you're breathing, come. You know, you don't have to be married and have kids. 
part of our family. We want to grow the our family. So anyways, we are so excited about this. And I know that Molly probably would have had more to say too, but pray she's home, not feeling so good. So join us in prayer um, and join us at our events. And if you have other ideas or want to help us, we would love it. And we're just so excited. I don't know why I said anything to begin with. So <laughs> isn't she great? <laughs> anyway, we love you guys. We love this church family. And um, thanks for your prayer and for your support. So Theo, did you want to? Good. Okay. All right. Thank you all. Thank you, guys. Yeah, well, after that sermon, we'll just dismiss in prayer and <laughs> go for it. <laughs> um, any other announcements we need to make? Yes, John. Thank you. Yeah, I just stand back there, and Felipe is like, you got a message, too? And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> oh, yeah, I do. Um, hey, Mountain Meadows Bible Camp, uh, even though there are no camps happening right now, we had a great summer. We enjoyed a lot of things that uh, God did through uh, allowing us to have some day camps up at camp, and we want to share that with everybody. And so on September 27th, it's a Sunday afternoon, we're going to have people up for an ice cream social distancing. Um, so we're going we're gonna to have ice cream. We're going to have some, some things shared from the counselors and staff this summer of what God did up at camp and then where we see going into the future of all of this wonderful world that we live in and, and how that's affecting camp and what that looks like. So we hope that you'll be able to join us on Sunday, September 27th. It'll be from, I believe, 2 to about 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And there'll be some homemade ice cream there, which uh, so far as I hear is really good stuff. So uh, if you don't believe me, ask somebody that was up at camp this summer. It was pretty good ice cream. So come and join us for ice cream and a time of just hearing what God has been doing in the midst of the world that we're in up at camp. Thanks. Yeah, thank you, Paul. Okay, is uh, that one more? Go ahead. Just one small point of clarification in regards to something Josh said. We do have church next Sunday. Uh, this was already announced probably in our prior email. We have Patrick Bloom speaking again. And we're meeting with our home church groups. And it'll be with our online format. So just a reminder, we do have that next Sunday. Thanks. All right. Last call. What, John? Keys? Oh, yes. Thank you. Um, did everybody get a communion cup and wafer? If not, they're over there somewhere. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. All right. Let's um, begin our service with a word of prayer, shall we? Let's pray. Well, Father, we just um, praise you for your goodness to us. Thank you for our Oak Grove family and that we can come here and worship you. And thank you for providing this place that we can do that and worship in peace. Father, we just pray that uh, everything that is said and done here would be bring glory to your holy name. And we thank you for our dear Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we just thank you that uh, for Pat, and we just pray that you just speak through him this morning, give him just the right words to, that you want us to hear, and open our hearts that we might, through him, hear from you. We praise you, we love you, we thank you for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.
I got to share real quick. <laughs> Joy, I've been praying for this, that the Lord would bless our time this morning. We're praying specifically, specifically for a couple of things. One is there wouldn't be a hard north wind, and the second would we wouldn't be visited last night by a skunk. <laughs> and we've worked. <laughs> Please join us uh, standing up, please, thank you. How deep the Father loves for us, how vast beyond our
Dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much for this uh, morning, beautiful morning, beautiful weather, Lord. Just thank you one more time. You are our salvation. You are our, the only one that we can go to, Lord, and, and every time. And in this morning, Lord, just want to come to you. Uh, we come as a church, Lord, with our hearts. Uh, in a place that we don't know, Lord, sometimes how our minds, our hearts are, are Lord, in with position, Lord. But I pray, Lord, that this morning you can uh, speak through Patrick, Lord, and give us a encouragement, a word of encouragement, Lord. Knowing that you are the one who can give us the encouragement, you are the one who can give us the love, the, the purpose in life, Lord. Uh, showing us through your word very clearly this morning, Lord. Just thank you. Thank you for one more time for Jesus, Lord. Um, thank you for salvation one more time. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. These little cups are tricky, aren't they? First week we did this, I thought I'd never have communion. Okay. The summer when I was 16, I got my first job that paid by the hour. Man, was I in hog heaven. I got a job at the cannery, and we were uh, canning beans at that point, and I ran the blancher, and my job was not particularly challenging or demanding, so I had time to think. And uh, since this was my first hourly job, that was on my mind, so I ran the numbers in my mind. You know, how much am I making? So eight hours per shift and times, get, get ready, times $1.42.5 an hour. That runs out to 11.40 a day, six days a week. So I extrapolated it. I'm doing, doing these numbers. I loved working for wages. This is a great arrangement. Uh, wages are what I deserved, and I got what I deserved. And that's what wages are. It's what, we, what we've earned and what we deserve. And the Apostle Paul takes that in a much more serious direction in Romans. In Romans 3.23, he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In 6.23, he says, For the wages of sin is death. Those two statements put together produce a sobering, riveting reality that we've all sinned and we're all spiritually dead without Christ. So sinners get what they deserve. And that rebellion that's in us was in our first parents, Adam and Eve. And it's embedded in us, and we replicate it, and we live it out in our lives, and it's spiritual death if we don't have Christ. And this is the most dire, darkest, seemingly hopeless situation that we could imagine. People through history right now Billions of people on this globe 
thinking life is pretty much probably going okay and not realizing the spiritual truth about where they are with their without Christ. God made us in his image. He made us for relationship, as Aaron said. He made us for relationship with each other and with him. And that rebellion that we inherited and that we have lived out ourselves has shattered that relationship. We're separated from him. There's nothing we can do about it. There's there's no uh, heroic effort on our part. There's no deep sorrow that will be enough to take care of this massive separation. There, There is no body of good deeds I can do enough of to cancel out the bad. There are no incantations, no body mutilizations, no repeated mosaic, uh, formulaic prayers I can do in some structure with a incense-shrouded room. There's nothing I can do. Man-made religion has all kinds of ideas. Nothing that we can do is going to resolve this separation between us and God. So it's dire, it's dark, it's seemingly hopeless on one hand, and yet, in reality, it turns into a love story if you keep reading. And in this love story, God is the one who does two things. He takes the initiative and he makes the ultimate sacrifice. And he offers a gift. He opens the door. He opens his arms. And he offers a gift of life, of restoration, of cleansing, of holiness, of purity, of forgiveness, if we will but accept that gift that we really struggle to imagine the, the riches of what we have in Christ. And that's what he offers. And it all happens because God so loved the world. God so loved the scoffer. God so loved the, the people that are too intelligent, so intelligent that they can't take seriously God or his revelation. God so loved God so loved the person who feels like there is no hope, there's no way they could ever be good enough for God. For God so loved the world that he sent his son, and as we know, thankfully we know, his son took our shame, took our guilt, the wrath of God was poured out on him, and we receive forgiveness. We receive his glory. This is the great exchange. He takes our sin and we get his glory. And we get riches and we get eternal life because of the love of our God. Jesus wants us to remember this. I don't think every church probably sings the wonderful rich songs that we sing every morning. They're a sermon in themselves. Jesus wants us to remember, so that morning or that evening when he instituted communion, he used that, that term twice. He said, remember me, remember me. This is, this is very important. And, and he gave us this practice. He gave us a tangible, visible uh, way of remembering by giving us communion, by giving us elements. And as, as, we, pr as we observe communion today and as we observe it whenever we do, it's not just a rite. It's not just something we do once a month. But it's something where we can go deeper in our gratitude as we reflect on what he has done and from where we have come. And as we go deeper in our gratitude, we move into worship and, fel and fellowship and expressing our thanksgiving to him.
The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Our Heavenly Father, You have, you have given us more than we could have ever imagined. You brought us from the depths and placed us in your family. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You are so good to us. Help us, Father, to grasp even more deeply the reality of your gift so that our lives and our gratitude are appropriate to your amazing, gracious love for us. We love you and we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning's scripture reading is from 2 Corinthians 10, 1 through 6. 2 Corinthians 10, 1 through 6. Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. I ask that when I am present, I may not be bold with the confidence which, with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Thank you, Bill. Am I hot? Am I live? Good morning, everybody. I don't have my watch and I don't have my phone. And so when I get to be about 60 minutes in, somebody started waving their hand. Okay. And, um, and that wasn't a joke. But I do, uh, I do get a little bit long-winded, but I am extraordinarily happy. I can't tell you how exciting it is for me to be here with you. This is truly family. This is my home. I have missed this fellowship for a long time. I think that when you spend the amount of years, if you don't know who I am, just look around at all the gray hairs. 
and ask them because we've been a part of each other's lives for, since about 1980. And um, so it's great to be here, and it's always a privilege. And I, and I know I'm just thrilled to be kind of diving into where you're going to be going over the next few weeks. Glenn had called me a few weeks ago and asked if I'd be available to come and, and share with you. And, and he said that you as a church body are going through uh, the reading of the scriptures in a year. And he said, boy, Patrick, if you could kind of teach out of a section that we'll be going through, that'd be great. But if you have something on your heart, that's fine, too. Uh, whatever topic you want to preach on. And as the transcendent word of God always has it, we're going to be able to do both. And uh, because coming about September 9th, you'll be hitting 2 Corinthians. And you'll be in 2 Corinthians till about the 22nd of September and the book of Proverbs. But in 2 Corinthians, a marvelous book. And it's a book probably not preached on a whole lot. So my desire over the next three weeks is to kind of give you context, historical context, so you better understand what you're going to be reading privately and maybe discussing in your home groups and then together um, as we meet with Ron to wrap things up in a couple of weeks at his house, Lord willing. Uh, next week will be online. You won't get to see me in live and glory, but um, digitally and, and through... Um, Hopefully your <laughs> effective and working internet, um, which we know is not always the case. Um, but before we dive into the scriptures, I'm going to pray and um, see if, like Ron said, I'm praying that the Lord will use you like a fiddle. Ron, I can't, you're behind a tree. I'm going to I'm gonna have to move back and forth, brother. Um, let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for just the beauty of this place, the beauty of your creation and the, the opportunity that we have to be able to meet together as the body of Christ, to love one another, to fellowship, to break bread and to pray and most importantly to open the very words of the creator of this universe, the divinely inspired, unapologetic, forceful truth, absolute truth of the scripture. And so I ask by your spirit that you would speak through me, that you would speak the words that you would have us to hear, that we would better understand who you are, better understand how to minister, how to be a soldier on the front lines, and how to appropriately listen, and then how to appropriately act and so we thank you for this morning and and we just um, commit it into your hands and may you be glorified in what takes place and we pray these things in Christ's name amen please feel free to get up and move if you're getting hot I'm, I'm gonna be in the shade but I think by about an hour it'll be right there so I might have to move it's going to, you know, don't, don't be offended. I, it won't bother me one bit. And we just sat through a wedding last, yesterday afternoon, if you were there, and it was about 190 degrees at 3 in the afternoon outside. And we were just, we were just the, the only benefit of being out, we were so wet with sweat that it, like, cooled us off naturally. But it will get warm um, as time goes on, so please don't hesitate to move. You won't bother me one bit. This is one of those texts to me that's fuel for the soul. And I'm not just talking about, like chicken soup for the soul, warm fuzzies. I'm, I'm talking about the fuel that ignites the passion and the purpose of the church. I love this text. 
I'm talking about defending the faith with sound doctrine. I'm talking about in a world that is filled with human philosophy and with false teaching permeating the church. You know, attacks on Christianity, attacks on the church, the credibility of the scriptures, the absolute source of truth is nothing new. But don't you just feel like it's ramping up lately? I do. Don't you just sense an ever-increasing and more blatant disregard in our country for God's word, for, for God's statutes, for, for his people? There's just this, this sense. And, of course, the church has been under attack, and it is nothing new from the history of the church. We see it. We read it. But we're experiencing it, I think, in our culture, in our society, in our lifetime really a little bit more heavy than we have. And, and we come this morning to a church that Paul established and his, and his people that he loves very much. And Paul spent significant time in person and writing and he admonished and encouraged, he exhorted the Corinthian church to practice their position, to live out their faith. And I think it's important and I want to kind of go through some context with you. So turn to the book of Acts, if you would, in the 18th chapter. And we're going to start in verse 9. We're going to just go through kind of a, a brief whirlwind of some historical context behind the writing and where he was, why he wrote it, and kind of some events leading up to it. But if you look at Acts chapter 18, and starting in verse 9, it simply reads, which is an amazing promise, but he says, it says, And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking. And do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So Paul spends here, he says, there's 18 months, it's pretty widely known, about 20 months in total in Corinth, um, after planting the church, and we see in verse 12 to the end of this chapter, we get a real clear insight that it's probably because of Galileo and his proconsul uh, uh, and Paul's trial that we read in Acts, probably AD 51 to AD 55 is this time period. And so from here, he takes a couple of stops, returns to Ephesus on his third missionary journey. Okay, And in Acts 19, we know that from this account because he stayed there in Ephesus about two and a half years. And then um, we see in Acts 16, 8, but I'll remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. So we get this timeline that's really clear about Paul's second missionary journey to Corinth and then on into his third into Ephesus. And at this point, it's approximately AD 55, four years after he founded the Corinthian church. We see in 1 Corinthians 16, 5, he says, I'll come to you after Macedonia. And then he, write, he very likely writes 2 Corinthians here in Macedonia, okay? So the timeline from the founding of the church to now when he writes this letter is about four years. And it's really widely accepted, whether you may or may not know, that there's probably literally four letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, two of which we have recorded for us in the scriptures, and two we don't. And he makes reference to these. Uh, Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians 5, 9, he says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. Well, that's not the letter he's writing. That's 1 Corinthians. He writes in 1 Corinthians and addresses a letter that he already wrote to them about some immoral behavior that was going on that he had heard about. And so that was the first letter. 
he wrote to, con- to correct them. And we see in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 11, in verse, uh, chapter 7 and verse 1, he says, For I have been informed concerning you, and now concerning you things both indicate his writing of 1 Corinthians, which is actually a second letter. You confused yet? So the letter generally addresses in 1 Corinthians, as you'll read, uh, sinful behavior and some sacraments going on in the church. He addresses the division amongst them, uh, taking sides, um, the quarreling they had, the sexual immorality that has infiltrated the church, um, the tongues, the Lord's Supper, uh, lawsuits, a lot of practical things going on in the church that were re- they were really messing up. And so that was 1 Corinthians. He even speaks of love as he closes it out. He says, but there began a, a, a much, much greater problem in the church that he got aware of. And that was the false prophets, false apostles started infiltrating the church and assaulting Paul's credibility as a genuine apostle and his credentials. See, Paul responds to this with a third letter, which we don't have, and scholars call it the, the, the severe letter. Because he makes reference to it in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4. He says, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. So this is another letter that he writes to these beloved. So the first and third letters are not actually in the scriptures. But we get the second and fourth. It's just interesting to understand that in context. And so as you read, you'll better understand and grab. So this severe letter, time passes. And in a nutshell, there's repentance. The church repents. Um, Paul loves these people. He aches for this church. He aches for these believers. He aches that their path is going down a path of false teaching. So generally speaking, when you read and find that 2 Corinthians is a letter of reconciliation and forgiveness, it's a letter of repentance, uh, those those first seven chapters as you read are going to really put God's glory on display. You're going to see God as a God of comfort in chapter 7, a God of all glory in chapter 4, a merciful God in chapter 1, a powerful God in chapter 6, a promise keeper in chapter 7. A God interested in reconciliation in chapter 5, and most of all, the God of truth. And he starts right out in chapter 1 and verse 20. So the first seven chapters are, are repentance and reconciliation and a church coming back. And then in 8 and 9, he, he kind of shifts and talks about them giving to the Jerusalem church. And at the end of chapter 9 and verse 13, he says, Because of the proof given them by this ministry, they will glorify God by your obedience and your confession of the gospel. And then he comes to chapter 10. And he begins chapter 10. So if you flip back to 2 Corinthians now, chapter 10, he begins with the word now. And there's really a clear difference in tone and a message that he writes in these last four chapters of 2 Corinthians. He says, now. And I love this text in chapter 10. That's why I landed here. I can, I can just appreciate it. I love Paul because he lays it out to the Corinthians. And he makes no bones about it. It's authoritative. 
it's confrontational, it's right up my alley. I just appreciate it. I appreciate getting smacked over the head with a two-by-four. And I like doing it back. I have a magnet that I bought at Hobby Lobby. It's in my classroom. It says, sometimes I open my mouth and my mother comes out. I always have my mama jokes when I'm with you guys because you're the only ones who understand my mom. Bless your heart. You know, I don't ever recall a time in my life when someone has taken me aside and corrected me for being too soft-spoken. I don't. I I mean, I literally, Patrick, would you just please, please speak your mind? Never happened. I don't know if that's a good thing. But that's why I like this text. I know I'm straightforward, and I know I am straightforward to a fault. I think it's a spiritual gift. However, when I read a letter like this from Paul, he's had it. He's had it with the invasion of false teaching with the wolves that are devouring the flock of God. And I get fired up when I hear these words. The words that Bill read out of the first six verses. It's confrontational, and it's even a bit sarcastic. We see some of Paul's human side. Even though Paul acknowledged a repentant church, a church reconciled to God, 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, he acknowledged this repentant church. But he also acknowledges the fact that false teachers are, are still in force, and they're a force to be reckoned with. In the church, they're becoming the few, but they have a big voice. And they're leading many astray. So the final chapters of 2 Corinthians give notice that Paul is on a search and destroy mission. And he knows that after this letter is brought by Titus, he's coming in about two months. And so he says, get ready, because I'm coming. And he begins this final section in chapter 10 with the analogy of warfare. He frequently does this, doesn't he? I mean, I just listed several places when we remember that he tells Timothy, no soldier in active service entangles him in 2 Timothy 2. Philippians 2, he says, I thought it necessary to send a path for Didus, my brother and fellow soldier. Philemon 2, our fellow soldier. He says, fight the good fight of faith, Timothy. Says he urges believers to put on their spiritual armor, right? In chapter 6 of Ephesians, Romans put on the armor of light. Even at the end of his imminent death, he says, I have fought the good fight. So Paul uses soldiers and fighting and warfare as analogies throughout his epistles. And it's most appropriate. I mean, from the time he was saved on the Damascus Road until his death, Paul's life was a constant struggle, wasn't it? He battled forces of darkness. He fought savage wolves who threatened the flock. He took up armor against the philosophies of the world. I mean, Paul was in it. He fought against the external forces, but this time was different. So I'm kind of drawn into this text. This time it was different because Paul fought to defend the truth of the gospel, but it was never for his own honor. It was always for the Lord's. This time was different. He seeks to defend his own apostolic credibility. 
and he's defensive. He, get, he gets a little perturbed. I mean, don't get me wrong, Paul never fought for his own glory. It, it wasn't about him bringing the credit to himself. Of course not. It was never for his own personal achievement or fame, but he always fought for the truth. He always fought for the gospel. He fought for the Lord, and, and, and his defense was not to preserve himself. He was ready to die if necessary, but to speak authoritatively the truth of God. He battled to protect the truth of God. He battled against the wolves who threatened to devour the church. So Paul loved the Corinthians. He preached the gospel to them during his second missionary journey in the midst of a pagan and ruthless environment filled with idolatry and sexual immorality and slavery, uh, human philosophy, and the church flourished under his teaching until it didn't, until the wolves came in. So after he moved on to Ephesus, he received word that the church was engaging in sin on, on many, many levels. So he writes these letters to correct their behavior, and no doubt it had an effect. It worked, but a more serious problem was growing. It was a more subtle problem. It wasn't those blatant issues of sin. It was subversive. It was underlying, and it was yet more potent and more destructive to the church. And so the false teachers began to assault the gospel and teach heresy. But the way they did it was by maligning Paul's reputation. So they attacked his character and his reputation. They didn't attack the word of God. They attacked the man who presented, who brought it. And don't we see that a lot today? Let's not focus on policy and what's right. Let's focus on character assassination. It's, it's, it's psychology 101. It's been around forever. But what's worse is that this body of believers didn't stand up and defend Paul's apostolic credentials. They caved. They bought the lies. They bought the false teaching. Hook, line, and sinker. And his sorrow was so heavy that he knew this false teaching disconnected them from the sanctifying effect of the church in their culture and as a witness to the lost. And it broke his heart. And you know what's interesting is you do a little Google search about some things. And, you know, I found that there's nine tips that the civil rights attorney named Miranda Weiss Bernadette gives. Hank, where are you at? Nine tips for an, uh, 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 to be effective in a deposition. If you're ever deposed to give sworn evidence, she gives these nine tips. And I found it interesting that the top two, the top two when being examined in a legal formal deposition, she says, here's tip number one, prepare. And tip number two, don't waver from the truth. That's pretty good advice. Prepare and don't waver from the truth. It's pretty good advice when you confront false teachers. Be prepared and don't waver from the truth. So he writes this 
letter, this severe letter, it says. And he sends it with Titus, as we see in chapter 7. He does not go himself because he says in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, he says, he is in great sorrow and anguish of heart. And so then he says in his fourth letter, which is first, Second Corinthians chapter 5, uh, or chapter 2, verse 5, he says, I didn't write you to make you sorrowful, but to know the love that I have for you. Paul loved this church. He ministered alongside these folks. He discipled these folks. He encouraged these folks. So the letter produced that which was intended, and, and there was restoration. There was renewal. There was repentance. And he says in chapter 7, verse 9, I rejoice that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. Sorrow over sin with a believer produces repentance and reconciliation. And verse 10 of chapter 7 says, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance. So now in chapters 10 to 13, he comes and he's warning the people who are still holding on to their rebellion. And he says, I'm coming. And when I get there, it's going to be all out war. He says, he's coming back, as Bill read. He says, he's coming back. And he says, I'm coming with weapons of warfare that are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. He's coming back to punish the disobedience and to take every thought captive to Christ. He's coming back to destroy, he says, every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. By the way, Titus takes this letter also, and he's warning, hey, Paul's coming in a couple months. Let's get our affairs in order. See, but this isn't uncharacteristic of Paul. In 1 Corinthians 4, 21, he writes, what do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with a spirit of gentleness? It's your choice. In other words, you determine my demeanor by what you do. So now to our text. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold towards you when absent. I want to land here this morning. Now, he writes, it's a transition. In the Greek, it's what's called a continuous. It can be translated moreover. And if you look at chapter 9, it concludes with praising God for this indescribable gift and surpassing grace. And then Paul says, moreover, I, Paul, myself urge you. Now, before I begin my assault on false apostles and their followers, he says, I urge you, I beg you. The term is parakleo, and it means to call to one side. It's used 15 times in the book of 2 Corinthians, more times than any other book in the New Testament except for Acts. And it's, he says in chapter 5, verse 20, we beg you to be reconciled to God. In chapter 6 and verse 1, we urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. I call you alongside of me by the meekness and by the gentleness of Christ. So after these few short words of introduction, Paul's going to lay into the rebellious few. But before he does, he appeals for meekness. He appeals for gentleness. And isn't that just like God? A meek, merciful, 
gentle, patient God. Meekness, praates, it means humble. It means gentle. It's an attitude of patient endurance. Our modern dictionary, Webster, defines meek as mild, not violent, deficient in spirit and courage. <laughs> well, we know that's not the biblical definition. Jesus himself said, blessed are the meek for what? They will inherit the earth. Those who inherit the earth are not the, the meek. They're not the mild. They're not deficient in spirit. But biblical meekness means you're free from anger. Biblical meekness means you're free from hatred. You're free from bitterness. You're free from the desires for revenge when wrongly treated. That's biblical meekness. And the word gentle, it's a great word. Because it carries a similar idea, but it has to do with clemency. It has to do with fairness. And clemency, meaning someone in authority who's being lenient. So even though you have the power to retaliate, you don't. It's power under control. A great analogy is of a bridle or a bit in a horse's mouth. That bit in the horse's mouth doesn't make the horse less powerful, does it? But it controls that power. It harnesses the power. The power's there, but it's under control. Oh, how we need meekness today. How we need gentleness today. I believe that there's no time when we are more like Christ when we exercise a meek and gentle spirit. And when Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, after 11 chapters of doctrine and position, he says, therefore, therefore I beg you, I urge you, I call you to come alongside me by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I guess I want to ask you this morning as I ask me, how, how is your mind lately? How meek is your mind? How gentle is your mind? How saturated are you with the news today? How consumed are you with social media today? How much do you find yourself always talking about the latest post or sharing the most recent meme? And how often do we get engaged in this bitter, negative discourse about our culture or about our government? And more importantly, as a result, how angry do you get? Now, you may not act on the anger, but how much do you stew and just let it eat you? And how badly do you want to post a reply, but you're so sanctified you can't? Oh, I can't do it. I'm an elder. <laughs> you know, I 
It's hard. It's just hard. There's no doubt that the Christian faith today in America is under attack. And probably now more than it has been in a pretty long time. And we are being bombarded with not just false teaching from without, but right inside the church. And we are being accused of lies with accusations of intolerance. We're being labeled with committing hate crimes. If you just research the number of hate crime legislation bills that are pending in state legislations, legislator offices all over the country, you would be shocked. We're being blind and misrepresented. Our freedom even to exercise our faith is under attack, is it not? Every turn we take, it seems like Christians are being thwarted to practice their faith. I mean, in the world's eyes, what are we? We're misogynistic. We're homophobic. What else? We're transphobic. We're intolerant. I just read an NBC publication printed in July 27, 2020. This summer, this article said this. This was the headline. Racism among white Christians is higher than among the non-religious. That's no coincidence, end quote. And the subheading said, for most of American history, the light-skinned Jesus conjured up by white congregations demanded the preservation of inequality as part of divine order. That makes us sick. Those of us know that that's not who we are. That is not the God of the Bible. That is not our faith. That is not what we believe. But see, how do we respond? How do we stand firm? How do we effectively minister and hold fast to defending the honor of the gospel when such evil and rebellion is all around us? Well, I would like us not to forget perspective. 1 John 2 and 17. The world is passing away and its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. In John 17, 16, Jesus says, you are not of this world. Right? We are in the world, but it is not our home. So, brothers and sisters, we cannot expect the world to live according to our playbook, nor can we fixate on how frustrating it is when they follow theirs. Right? Consider Paul's urging. I mean, no one has ever had more power than Jesus Christ himself to retaliate. And yet, no one had a better harness on that power. No one had that power under control like the Lord Jesus. Philippians 2 and 5 reminds us that although he existed in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. He says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And you know what? Paul says, be imitators of me as I imitate that Christ 
who emptied himself. Galatians 3.27, for as many of you were baptized into Christ. In Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. Right? But Patrick, come on, Paul tells us to fight the good fight of faith. And put on the full armor of God and be a soldier. Yeah. But the character of a great soldier doesn't look to fight first, does he? He's great because he has the power to blow somebody away. But he exhibits self-restraint and much self-control until the time is right, until it's absolutely necessary. He doesn't go looking for a fight. Consider 1 Peter. Turn with me there to 1 Peter chapter 2. It's another great text. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 19. First Peter 2, 19. For this finds favor... If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, if you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. What does it mean? It means, well, you might as well learn to deal with it because it's part of being a Christian. You can just expect it. You live counter to the culture. You live alien to the world. You can expect to be called out and unjustly suffer. You've been called according to this purpose. And Peter doesn't stop there. Look at verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps. And verse 22, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile him in return. And while suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. What did Jesus say on the cross? Father, destroy them. Yeah. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's our perspective. They don't know what they do. So that needs to motivate us to be ministers of reconciliation like never before. Christ is a tender and forgiving and gracious and merciful. Remember in John 8 when a woman was caught in the act of adultery and men literally jerked her right out of that act, slammed her on the ground in front of Jesus and said, we have taken this woman in the act of adultery. What do you think about that? Loosely translated. And Jesus, looking at the woman and looking at them, he said, whichever of you is without sin, you cast the first stone. Adultery, sexual sin, all sorts is accepted in our culture today. It just becomes commonplace. And we fail to understand the significant act that Jesus had on this woman. The forgiveness Jesus extended for this woman who was blatantly, 
who blatantly disregarded the law of God and engaged in adultery was a sin punishable in the Old Testament by execution and immediate execution. That's extraordinary. And yet you see the patience of God in Jesus over and over and over again in the scriptures and the restraint of his power and the meekness on display and his gentleness. Paul recognized this more than anyone when he writes to, first, to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, he says, It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost, and yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me the foremost Jesus might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who believe in him for eternal life. The meekness and gentleness of Christ. See, Paul doesn't seek personal vengeance or hatred toward the sinner. These men, these, these false teachers were attacking ruthlessly and destroying everything he had established. Now back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, now I, Paul, myself urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I, who am meek when face to face with you, but bold towards you and absent. Paul recognized the fact that they saw his compassion as a weakness. His enemies used his kindness and his gentleness as gutless. They slander him and accuse him of being meek, when face to face, but oh, he's bold when he's a writer. He's kind of gutless and wimpy in person. Now, there are, there are some commentators who suggest this is sarcasm. The fact that Paul is simply repeating their accusation against him. You know, I, Paul, you know, it's me, the weak and wimpy one. And, and, and maybe it is. I can't argue against the exegesis. I, I, I like it. And Paul in 2 Corinthians 3 I mean, for, uh, chapter 2, verse 3 writes, I was with you in what? In weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Why? Verse 4, his message and preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of who? Of man, but in the power of God. Later on in chapter 12 and verse 9, the English Standard Version says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And I love what comes next. Therefore, he says, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. See, in verse 10 of our, of our text, it specifically lays out their accusations. They say, quote, for they, his adversaries, say, oh, his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal appearance is unoppressive and his speech is contemptible. In other words, face to face, he's a coward. He's gutless. He's weak. What the enemies of God see as weakness is actually meekness and gentleness and humility it's power harnessed. It's power under control. Paul was an apostle who contrasted himself with the world's way of eloquence 
power and, and he always took a position of of weakness and non-superiority of speech because he wanted the power of God to be on display but make no mistake remember it was the majority who responded to this Paul but the minority continued to attack him so his love for this church and how he agonized with great sorrow over the false doctrine that began to pervade their body motivates him to write these last chapters and to confront the rebellious remnant. As one commentator puts it, he says, this closing section shows how his life and words weld strength to weakness, proving that one can be a bold warrior for the truth while at the same time compassionate. Well, that was verse one. And I look forward to the next couple of weeks working through verses two through six. Paul does speak with power and apostolic authority. And so we can learn to both better equip us as soldiers to fight the good fight of faith. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power in it and the truth of it. Lord, by your spirit, through the absolute truth and the pages of the scriptures, Lord, we have the power. The power source is there. And we plug into it and exercise it with gentleness and humility and meekness as we interact day to day in our homes, in our places of work, in and amongst one another, and in a world and a culture that is so counter to the absolute truths of the gospel. And we will thank you and praise you when we see the power of God on display and help us continue to understand we are in this world, but we're not of it. Of course, the playbook is not going to be followed by the world. And we can't get too angry and frustrated when they follow theirs. Help us, empower us to be bold witnesses for you, to be meek and gentle, to be patient and forgiving, and to be ministers of the reconciliation of Jesus Christ. And we'll thank you and give you the glory for it. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Patrick. Um, let's stand up for this last song, please. Let's please then join us with the chorus. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. Hallelujah. All I have. Hallelujah. 
gentleness, uh, to have a mind uh, that is your mind, Lord, and conform to the word, and uh, Lord, help us to be wise, help us uh, 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 to be able to reach uh, one another, uh, and reach for those who don't know you, Lord, and uh, just help us, Lord, to be able to uh, see this world in a way that, uh, that you see that, that Lord, and help us to uh, know that we are light 
uh, that we have to uh, expose uh, your truth, Lord, through this week. And help us, Lord. And thank you for the, the message this morning, Lord. Uh, Lord, just thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness uh, all the time through your word. We love you, God. Praise his name. Amen. Amen. You guys are dismissed.